The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 3, Bad Luck. August 27th, Strike 1. I woke up with a badass hangover the next morning. It was a Friday, so I just needed to drag myself to classes and get the day over with. I tried to spark up some weed, but Ethan asked me not to smoke in the room. Ethan was becoming a little sketchier with each day, and I didn't want to chance him ratting on me for smoking weed in the dorms. I obliged and walked to Kirk's room. So, at this point, we have gone from smoking with Ethan to he thinks that it's so sketch, he doesn't want me to smoke in the room. But I, those are two really separate quick. things. Sure, sure. That happened quick, though. It did. So, yes, he went from being cool to not as cool. He was always down for a wake-and-bake session. When we were done smoking, I walked back to my room to get ready for classes. On the way back, I saw the guy I thought was a cop in the room beside mine. By now, I had realized he was just a jock. I gave him a head nod, but exchanged no words. I didn't want anything to do with anyone that I had a bad feeling about. Our first instincts about people are usually right. When I was done my peer analysis, I went to class. I started warming up to the attractive girls in my classes, spinning game whenever I got the chance. It was easy to listen to lectures and flirt. In my English 100 class, I flirted with the girl that sat beside me. At one point, I made her laugh out loud, and the teacher stopped the lecture. Everyone turned around to see what two assholes were interrupting their class. I apologized and kept whispering away to Mallory. Mallory was a short little blonde with a very athletic build. She was a sweet girl with a relaxed aura around her, which was complemented by her great smile. Her eyes were such a mesmerizing blue that it was impossible not to make eye contact with her when she spoke. When the class was dismissed, I walked with her to the food hall and we ate lunch together. I wasn't trying to put all my eggs in a blonde basket again, but she gave me a good feeling. I tried to leave as cool as possible by saying that I had to go meet one of my friends. I said that I would see her in our next English class and took my leave. That night, I decided I was going to go out and party, solo. It was a brave endeavor that I do not recommend to any new freshman. Always have a buddy. Okay, buddy? I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to go out and party solo in a town that I had only been in for like a week of my life, but I made that decision that night. So you mentioned something that I did not experience in college. What's that? This peer review thing. The peer tell review? Me, tell, me, tell me what the peer review is. So it's when you're analyzing all of the people around you, like your peer analysis, like trying to figure out what kind of person they are. And this was part of being a freshman? No. Or was that just something that you're describing that you do? That was just something I was describing that I do. Okay, so you were performing this peer analysis at you you pretentious 
dick. Yes. <laughs> I perf- you're 18 years old. I performed a peer analysis like a like a psychiatric professor. <laughs> yep, got them all figured out from head to toe, inside outside. I'm I'm sizing them up. Me me fresh and young. <laughs> Stupid as fuck is what I was. I'm like, like this, like, what's this thing you went through? Peer analysis. What? When I was 18, I didn't know what those words meant. I transferred into Radford from community college. They had to let me in. I pre-gamed for a bit with some redneck girls across the hallway. They were from a town called Danville, which couldn't sound any more redneck. They were cute enough to drink with, though, and we had a good time pounding down some bottles of liquor. After I had a buzz of confidence going on, I went out to party on the light side of campus. The university sat in between two residential neighborhoods. One neighborhood was known as the light side of town, and the other was referred to as the dark side. So, where did you live when you first lived off campus? Was You, you lived on the dark side first? I lived on the light side. I also lived on the light side when I when I lived off campus, because I when I moved to campus, I've lived I lived on both sides, but I lived on the light side first. Why did you choose to live on the light side? Because it was the side that had I didn't choose. Lights? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know any better. I okay. only found out later the reasoning behind and and the, what the light side and the dark side meant. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but but I lived on the light side first, and I think that that does something for your experience. The reasoning behind the nicknames isn't sci-fi related. The dark side of campus lacked street lighting, which made the streets pitch black at night. The only lights cast outside were those from houses' exterior lights. The light side, on the other hand, had amazing lighting, and every street was well lit. There were a few exceptions in some back alleys. Some fraternities also broke lights or removed bulbs so that they could make their backyards darker. I walked around the light side feeling like a big man on campus. I left my one-hitter in my dorm room because I didn't want to get busted with weed that night. I had a feeling before I went out that I was just going to be exploring. I didn't want to end up in the wrong place at the wrong time, stuck with paraphernalia and weed. In retrospect, this was a fantastic decision to leave (laughs) my weed in my dorm. Yeah. While I was out exploring, I found tons of different sorority and fraternity parties. It wasn't that hard to find a party in Radford. All I had to do was walk towards off-campus housing. I could see people in the yards of any house parties that were going on. One street alone had more parties on it than I had ever seen collectively. I had never seen that many parties before in my life. The first house I came across had a ton of girls drinking in the yard. I walked into the yard and I recognized a girl from one of my law classes. Her name was Trish. We started talking and we hit it off. Midway through our flirtation, a girl shouted from the inside of the house. She sounded like a banshee as a bitch as she shouted, Hey motherfuckers, get off the lawn with cups. Either get inside or go the fuck home. So that is the only audio mistake in this entire book that I left in there. Only because it's at exactly 4 minutes and 20 seconds into there. So it's like a stoner mistake. I thought that was kind of funny. Banshee as a bitch. It should be Banshee of a bitch. Can I just say how much I hate the name Trish? Yeah. Oh, it just grates. That name just grates me. There are so many names in this book that like, when I meet these people now, 
And all these people signed releases, but when I meet these people now with these names, like a new individual, uh, I instantly think of the other individual from college. Yep, it like yep. pops into my head. You thought if you think of the first person that like established that name in your head. Yeah, absolutely. They set the baseline for what the Trish is or the Karen. Imagine the confidence that it takes to randomly walk onto somebody's property as an underage kid. Like, I just didn't care. I was 18 and just, you know, I mean, that's what the the norm was, but it clicked so fast. Now in my 30s, I can't imagine just walking up to some kid's party. They'd be like, get out of here, old man. Well, I mean, you were the quintessential college freshman. You were brilliant. You were invincible. That's true. I'm smarter Fearless. than everybody. I'm more yeah. confident than everybody, and then yeah, you, you're establishing you're establishing the fresh the freshman persona, like you're going out into the world thinking you understand everything. Yep, and then it's time for a lion to check me, right? That's how things happen. I hadn't heard girls scream at crowds of people like that before. I was instantly attracted. I stopped the conversation with the excuse, "Well, I better go inside and grab a beer." I sensed that indoor parties were somewhat more exclusive, and I walked right in. I felt like I was on a roll with women. There were so many women. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. I went inside to see if I could keep that ball rolling, preferably into some tight-bodied Sarostitute's mouth. When I went inside the house, a young girl that appeared to be a pledge for whatever sorority's house I was in asked me for $5 if I wanted a cup. So, imagine... Even like being in a populated place like Virginia Beach, the parties that I went to, you'd only see like maybe five to ten new girls at most. And then everybody else you've already met and is in your peer circle. And then you walk into this sorority house and it's like bottom floor to top floor of all fresh faces. New women that you haven't met, new guys. Everybody's new. It's so exciting. And at Radford, the, the 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 statistics were more in favor of women. So, like, uh, often, like, the parties had good ratios. Yeah, absolutely. The party wasn't huge, and I didn't know how long I'd be staying, so I didn't want to buy a cup. I didn't have a choice, because there was now a lineup behind me, and the four-story house was filled with young students. I couldn't get the $5 out of my pocket fast enough, I took the red plastic cup in my hand like it was a first-place trophy. I couldn't wait to get to the beer. I hadn't had much experience with kegs, other than the party the night before. When I finally got to the keg and was filling up my cup, two girls charged to the circle that surrounded the keg. They ripped the pump hose out of my hand. Then one of them said, House cups! She was wearing a shirt with Greek sorority letters on it, and I didn't dare question the house. I had no idea what this girl was talking about at first. Then a tiny light bulb went off in my head. She probably lived in the house or was getting the beer for one of her sorority sisters. When they finished, I continued filling up my cup. As soon as my cup was filled and I turned around, Trish was behind me. It was a little scary because she gave off a stalker vibe, but cool because she seemed to like me. There had to be a hundred people on the main floor of that house alone, and it was getting hard to breathe. We kept talking and moved outside to get some fresh air. 
We were still hitting it off when someone tugged on my shirt from behind. I spun around to see a smile I recognized from my English class. It was Mallory. I felt like the center of attention. I introduced the two girls to one another. What a precarious situation. I go from not knowing too many people to now two women are talking to me in the same night. Hmm. With all three of us talking, I started to give Mallory much more attention. I drank my beer slowly so I wouldn't have to go back inside and risk losing her. Then Trish had to refill her beer so it was perfect. I started spitting hardcore game to Mallory and I knew we had instant chemistry. I had a feeling it was going to be on that night. Mallory suggested we leave to find another party or go back to my room to blaze and hang out. I didn't want to ditch Trish while she was getting her beer, but Mallory was probably the most attractive girl that I'd ever had chemistry with. With lessons learned from Lauren, I wanted to maintain positive relationships on all fronts. For all I knew, Mallory could be in one of my friend's beds the next day. I remained neutral and said, Okay, I'm just going to tell my friend that we're leaving. As I turned to walk back into the house, someone grabbed the back of my arm firmly. It made me drop my beer. I turned around to say, what the fuck, and was confronted with one of Radford's finest men in blue. So I thought that it was Trish tugging on my shoulder and or grabbing my arm, right? And mm -hmm. the causing me to drop my cup is kind of like a fuck you moment when the cup cost five bucks and you're <laughs> a poor little student. So I turn around and I see one of Radford's finest men in blue. Gotcha. Like a cartoon character, my jaw hit the ground and landed beside Mallory's jaw. I turned to run, but there were people everywhere. The cop screamed, Don't you fucking do it! I did it. I lunged <laughs> forward just to realize there wasn't any safe path to take. So I was outside, on this driveway, 40 people scattered about like a game of Fall Guys, and I couldn't make it through anybody. And I probably had only lunged five or six feet, but it was enough to piss the cop off. So now there was no way that I was going to get out of this. So for anybody that isn't living in America, you have to be 21 to drink. It doesn't matter if you're on a college campus. And I am 18 at this time. And as Eric stated earlier, I think I'm the smartest person in the room. I think I'm the most confident person in the room. And nothing can stop me. And this is the lion. There were police everywhere. They had two patrol cars parked in front of the sorority house, and multiple patrol officers were walking around the property. They were shutting this party down for the night, and I happened to be the little fishy that got busted. This is almost like a cartoon, right? Our jaws hit the ground. I try to road runner out of there. They are corralling us like a bunch of sheep. I, uh... I never, I never had a story like that, but you know, I was there. I was up close and personal for Chippy. <laughs> I stopped dead in my tracks after a two-foot run. You're coming with me, son, the officer said. He looked at Mallory and continued, you're coming with us too. Mallory looked at me like it was my fault. Shit, girl. We were both drinking outside underage. What did you think was going to happen to us? We're not invincible. We followed one of the officers to their car, with our tails between our legs. I found it insane that I was getting in trouble for drinking. 
If I spun in a circle, I could see people drinking in the street, parties still going on, and even people drinking while they were watching us get in trouble. When I say that, like, I was surprised that I was getting in trouble, it's not one of those moments where you're speeding on the highway and there's maybe eight other cars around you. There are literally dudes hanging out windows on rooftops, upside down, like, screaming. There are people streaking down the street. There are, like, people fighting, screaming, all sorts of shit going on. And I'm just flirting with the smoking hot blonde, and they're like, that one, over there. I also limp dick my run. Like, I should have just gone for it and been like, see you later. I didn't understand why I was the one getting in trouble. I so eloquently explained to the officer that I was in school studying criminal justice and that I didn't want to jeopardize my education. I've come to find out that telling police officers that you're going to one day become the lawyer that ruins all of their cases in criminal defense is probably not the brightest idea. Yeah, no. He didn't care what I had to say. He just kept writing the citations. This is when Mallory tried her best at getting out of the ticket as well. She told him her dad was a police officer in another town in Virginia. I think nine times out of ten, cops would have given the girl a little professional courtesy. But this small town cop was not impressed. He gave us a long speech about us getting tickets in just our first few days of class. He told us that it would be in our best interest to lay low and stop drinking underage. If we didn't listen to him, we would have a short college career ahead of us. He told us that we may get in trouble on campus as well. He explained that he saw us both because I was so tall and stood out. He saw I had a cup in my hand and saw others drinking outside the house, which gave him probable cause to come onto the property. He said that's when he realized we were underage. He had ruined my night, an unscathed criminal record. It was August 27th, 2004. I had only been at school 10 days and was already getting in trouble. I was pretty bent out of shape, but I wasn't going to let that ruin my groove. So, it was August 27th, 2004, and at the time of this recording, it's August 28th, 2020. So this happened 16 years, uh, one day ago and actually it was probably so late at night that it happened exactly 16 years ago to the day yeah that's probably accurate so if i would have gotten trish or mallory pregnant that night i would have had a 15 year old child <laughs> i was in the company of a stunning girl since the night was a complete bust i invited mallory back to my room to hang out she was pretty bummed out as well, and she just wanted to go back to her room. Somehow, in my suave, drunken state, I convinced her to come back to my room to smoke some weed. It took us a few minutes to get back to the dorm, where Bev was waiting to cock-block me some more. And <laughs> this woman, I thought. She asked Mallory where she lived, and I answered for her. Muse, this dorm? We went up to my room on lucky floor number four. I hated that woman. Not hated. I understood her role and her capacity. But it was just like every time having to stop and explain to somebody who you were or where you were going was not going to work out. The warden. When we got into my room, the lights were off. 
and Ethan was in his nest sleeping. God damn it, I thought. The night was just not meant to be. She asked me, is someone sleeping up there? And then pointed to the treetop bunk bed. I nodded, feeling so disappointed. Having a roommate made it hard to hook up. We talked for a few minutes with low voices so that we wouldn't wake Ethan up. We smoked some weed out of my one-hitter together. The fact she liked smoking weed made me like her even more. I thought it was so attractive she was smoking with me. When we both got high, I pulled her close and started kissing her. It was awesome to kiss someone new, especially someone that didn't taste like cigarettes. That was probably the best part, is that she didn't taste like cigarettes, like an ashtray. Yeah, I hate that too. Her lips were so soft, and she was a great kisser. I felt like hot shit until she became reserved with kissing me back. This is when I felt like I was trying to eat her face. I'm sure Ethan being in the room didn't make her feel very comfortable. She asked me if I could take her back to her room, and I did. On the walk back, I kept asking her questions to try to make her feel as comfortable as possible. I wanted to make sure I hadn't come off too aggressive in my dorm room. At this point, like, now I'm in my own little head. Like, I think yeah. in, at that age, you're in I'm, your head. Think I'm just, yeah, does she think I'm just getting using her? Or, like, I need her to know that I actually like her, right? Exactly. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, did I try to push this thing too far? Like, now that Brooke is out of the picture, this girl is like, I have her on a pedestal already. And I'm just thinking, did I blow it? I got to talk to her and try to make her think that, like, it's not, I don't think she's just a sexual object. Like, this girl's the whole package. Other than her dad being a police officer. That's kind of like a deal breaker for her. Oh, that wasn't a lie? Me. No, her dad was actually a police officer in a much larger town than Radford. Like, one of the biggest towns in Virginia. And I promised her I wouldn't say which. Um, but I think that, again, like I said, nine times out of ten... Any cop would have given her professional courtesy for an underage drinking ticket and said, go home. You, son, you're getting one. Right? Given me the ticket and then sent her on her way because her dad put in the time. But, you know, some of these small town guys don't give a fuck. When we got back to her dorm, I crowded her at her door to try to sneak in more kisses. She told me that her roommate was in there and I couldn't stay. I did it. All I wanted was more kisses from this girl. I was like, she is such an amazing kisser. I just want like one more, just one more. And she's like shutting the door and I'm like, no. And then she's in the same situation too, right? She's actually in a bunk bed in her room, like set up. And I can see her roommate sleeping in the bottom bunk. At the same time, I'm cursing the fact that I don't own a place because I feel like she would have been more comfortable to hang out, even if it was in a fraternity house. Yeah, but I'm a freshman. I'm not cool. I don't, like, own anything. You're not living off campus. No, I have a 10 by 10 cement cell, and that's it. Everything I could to try and sleep with her, but it wasn't happening. Part of me felt rejected because something told me she wasn't as into me as I was into her. I just couldn't close the deal. I was always great at closing the deal because I just wanted to please women, but bad at initiating the first kiss. Now in college, I was in the exact reverse situation. 
This is actually very true. So up to this point, I was always terrible at trying to kiss girls. Like to to make that move from us talking to us kissing. But once it was there and I had established physical contact, it was always easy to naturally progress to a pleasurable uh, place for both of us that was not making anybody feel uncomfortable. And that initial threshold. Yeah. But now I'm like a little lean, mean kissing machine. I'm kissing everybody. (laughs) I'm just throwing out smooches here and there like a smooch machine gun. And I can't figure out how to now transition into the place that I was always comfortable at. When I left a room, I felt lighter, like I could walk on clouds. I got back to my dorm and was greeted by the scowl of Bev. This is about the time I decided I would have to find another way to get into the dorms that wasn't through the main entrance. I didn't want any more dates cock-blocked, and I didn't want to be interrogated after great nights of partying. I went to my room, and I smoked some more weed, reflecting on my amazing night. I shoved the citation under my keyboard, and would deal with it in the morning. I opened up my journal on my computer, and wrote down all of the people I had met that night. I added a short description of them, and a fact or two about them, so that I could remember what I learned when I wasn't drunk. This is the night I got into the habit of keeping good records. That is definitely something I'm envious of. I did not keep good records. I think making good records and taking good notes is something that requires so much time that it's easy to just say, nah, I don't want to do it tonight. Almost like brushing your teeth, right? If you just do it before you go to bed and you take the one or two minutes to just type out some points, easy. You just got to build the habit. Yeah, got to become habitual. 